Good day. We're back at Latin II class from the Church of St. Agnes. I hope you're having a great day. As I like to tell my students, any day you can learn more about Latin has to be a great day. So let's dig into our homework lessons for Unit 21, starting on page 180. We have Roman numeral number two, a series of some short conditional sentences uh, that will give you good practice. Number one, si Paulum Romam mitimus Petrum videt. So we see that we have a condition and we have two present indicatives, one in each clause. That's the sign of a simple present condition. So it's quite straightforward. If we send Paul Romam to Rome, he sees Peter. Notice Romam without a preposition, the name of cities, towns, small islands, Domus and Rus. Rome, of course, a large city. Uh, motion toward in the accusative without a preposition. The important thing for us here is the conditional sentence. It's a simple present condition, present indicative in both clauses. Number two, si Paulum Romam mitemus Petrum videbit. Now notice our tenses have changed. We're still in the indicative mood, but now instead of the present tense, we have two future indicatives. If we will send Paul to Rome, he will see Peter. Now in English, we normally uh, just translate or just express the conditional clause in the present. If we send Paul to Rome, he will see Peter. But this is a future, more vivid condition. We have the future indicative in both clauses. And in Latin, that requires the future indicative in both clauses, and uh, or sometimes the future perfect indicative in the protasis. So we will see two futures. We will think future more vivid. If we will send Paul to Rome, he will see Peter. Now, number three illustrates the variation on that and is actually the more common way in Latin to express a future more vivid condition. See, Paulum Romam miserimus Petrum Virebit. If we shall have sent Paul to Rome, he will see Peter. Now, recall that we talked about this. In a future condition, both clauses are in the future. But even though both actions are in the future, the C clause or the if clause logically precedes the action in the conclusion clause or the apodosis. Therefore, Latin likes on many, many occasions to use a future perfect indicative to show that that's time in the future but completed before the time in the future of the conclusion. So here, if we shall have sent Paul to Rome, he will see Peter. Both future actions, Paul will go, uh, the sending of Paul will happen before he sees Peter, but both are in the future. Okay, now take a look at number four. We've now changed moods. Si Paulum Romam mitamus Petrum videat. Ah, we have two 
present subjunctives, one in each clause, the formula with two present subjunctives tells us that is a future, less vivid condition, what we sometimes call a should-would condition. Notice, we call it less vivid because we're moving from indicative, which is stating facts, factual things, to the realm of doubt or uncertainty. So here we say, if we should send Paul to Rome, he would see Peter. The should, would condition. Future, less vivid. Number five, nisi palomissimus, romam non iit. Ah, now here we have a return to the indicative, but we're now in the past tense. We're in the perfect tense in each clause. Therefore, our formulas again tell us that that is a simple past condition. If we did not send Paul, he did not enter Rome. If we did not send Misimus, Paul, non iit, he did not enter or approach or go to Rome. So two perfect indicatives, uh, a simple past condition. And number six, si pueri non opera verunt, non cenabunt. Ah, so we say, uh, take a look at our verbs. Chenabunt, the main verb, in the future. They will not dine, they will not eat supper, they will not eat. Uh, under what condition? If the boys shall have not worked. If the boys will have not worked. Notice, a future perfect indicative. Both actions in the future. So it's a future more vivid condition with a future more perfect in the C clause and a straight future in the uh, conclusion clause or the apodosis. If the boys will have not worked, they will not eat, okay, or they will not dine. Okay, so that's a, that's a nice little section of practice sentences, uh, changing uh, tenses and moods to show you uh, how our various conditions uh, work in Latin. Let's move on to the exercises. Number one, uh, another uh, condition for practice. Si ergo filius vos liberaverit, vere liberi eritis. So we, we again see that it's a condition. We look at the verbs. We see that we have a future perfect in the protasis and a future in the apodosis. Therefore, it must be a future more vivid condition. The main sentences, vere liberi eritis, you will truly be free. Under what condition? If, therefore, the Son will have freed you. If the Son will have freed you, you will truly be free. A uh, nice sentence, a future more vivid condition, uh, a future perfect in the protasis, and a future in the apodosis. Number three. Benedicat vos omnipotens Deus, pater et filius et spiritus sanctus. Okay, so here we have uh, something we hear at the end of Mass every Sunday or every time we attend Mass in Latin. Uh, we see the verb is benedicat from benedicere. Notice it's third conjugation. So the A is the sign of the subjunctive. We hear ah, liar, friar. The A, the sign of the subjunctive, 
benedicat vos. It's an independent use of the subjunctive. And say, may almighty God bless you. May almighty God bless you. Benedicat is the verb. Omnipotens Deus is the subject and vos is the object. It's, it's expressing a wish or a polite, it could be a, a, an optative subjunctive or a polite command. Let Almighty God bless us, or may Almighty God bless us, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, notice that uh, we talk about, uh, here we're, we're most likely um, wishing that God would do this. May Almighty God bless us. Um, we, we, we sometimes designate these subjunctives, these independent uses of the subjunctive, as a justive subjunctive or as a optative subjunctive, a subjunctive of wish, or a subjunctive of polite command. They're very uh, close to one another, and um, these are our titles rather than those of the Latin, uh, the, the, of the Romans. So realize that um, we're, we're here expressing a, a wish that God might bless uh, you uh, or a, a polite command. Most likely here a wish. May, may Almighty God bless you. We say in English, may Almighty God bless you. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. Uh, number five. Said, Turba heik, que non novit legem, maledicti sunt. But this crowd, which does not know the law, are accursed. They are accursed. They are... Uh, Spoken ill of, okay, maledicti sunt. They have been cursed. Um, from maledicere, to speak evil of. Maledicti sunt. They have been cursed, this crowd. Okay, now, an interesting thing about this sentence is the relative clause, que non novit legem, this crowd which does not know the law. The verb nosco, which uh, novit comes from, nosco, noshere, Novi notus. The word, of course, means to know or get to know. If you take a look <clears throat> on your vocabulary on page 177, you see the verb nosco, noshere, novi notus. Present stem system, it says get acquainted with, get to know. In the perfect, it means to know. Now, uh, all of its compounds uh, form similarly. Uh, what does that mean? Well, the verb actually means to get to know. So in the present tense, you are getting, you know, remember the old song, getting to know you, getting to know all about you. Yeah. So there, you're getting to know someone. And once you have gotten to know them, you therefore know them. This means, so that means in the perfect tense, we will translate nosco or novi, I know. In other words, I have gotten to know. I have become acquainted, therefore I know. Now that's an interesting uh, uh, case of the perfect tense, a use of the perfect tense. And um, it, it, it mirrors somewhat, or it, 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 in Latin we have uh, this occurring occasionally. Um, what we see in Latin is in the perfect tense in Latin, we have a collapse of what amounts to two tenses, uh, in Greek or in Indo-European. In Greek, we have a separate perfect tense and a separate aorist tense. Now, the perfect tense in Greek is uh, the tense that expresses a, an action done in the past 
but continuing into the present. That's called a perfective uh, state or aspect of the verb. Um, Greek also has another tense called the aorist, which is a simple single past action. That's called the aoristic state or aspect of the verb. In, uh, so example, for example, uh, when uh, Archimedes sat down in the bathtub and the water rose around him and he discovered the displacement of water, he said, Heureka, Eureka, right? That's the perfect tense in Greek. I have found it, and I am still in the state of finding it, and it's still happening. Whereas opposed to, I'm walking down the sidewalk, and I picked up a coin. I said, oh, I found this coin. One action. In Latin, in Greek, so Greek has two tenses and various verbal aspects to uh, convey these thoughts very subtly. In Latin... The perfect tense does double duty for both the perfective aspect or the perfect tense in Greek and the aoristic or the aorist tense in Greek. Now that's a little bit of complicated grammatical theory, but it's going to come back again when we learn the sequence of tense in the next chapter. So I'll call upon you to remember this little excursion, but for now, let's be content and go on to the next sentence. Okay, number seven. At extendens manum tetiget eum. Okay, so the main verb tetiget from tango, he touched him. Under what circumstances? Extendens manum. Here we have a participle, extendens, modifying the singular subject in tetiget he. He, what kind of he? Extending his hands, he his hand, he touched him. Okay, so that so, uh, referring to, uh, I think, Jesus uh, healing someone in the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, let's take a look at number nine, another example of participles here. Venit enim Ioannes neque manducans neque bibens. So the subject is Ioannes, uh, and what did Ioannes do? He vained it, he came. John came, but under what circumstances? Neque manducans, neque bibens. Again, nominative participle, singular masculine, modifying the subject. Neither eating nor drinking, John came. John came, neither eating nor drinking. This is kind of a strange sentence taken out of context, but in the larger context of that passage in Matthew, I think what's happening there is Jesus is describing uh, why John the Baptist came and uh, expressing the fact that he didn't come just to subsist as a human uh, who eats and drinks, but uh, as a prophet. So he came neither eating nor drinking. Uh, the important thing for grammar point here is that Mandukans and Bibens, both participles, nominative, present participle modifying John. Okay, let's take a look at 11. Corpus Domini Nostri, Jesu Christi, custodiat animam tuam. In vitam eternum. Again, taken from the Mass. If you go to the extraordinary form of the Mass and you go to communion, this is what the priest says when he distributes the host to each individual communicant. And in the uh, Novus Ordo, he says Corpus Christi, and we say Amen. Here, he silently says this for each uh, communicant Corpus Domini Nostri Jesu Christi, custodiat animam tuam, in vitam eternum. 
The body is the subject, obviously. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Custodiat. Ah, I-A, the sign of the subjunctive. Custodire, right? So we have, we hear a liar, friar, fourth conjugation. Custodire, to guard. We get the word custodian from that, of course. Um, and we have the subjunctive in an independent use. So again, we have here a subjunctive, which is probably an optative subjunctive or a polite command, adjustive, but I would say maybe not. May the body of our Lord Jesus Christ guard your soul for life eternal or into life eternal. Corpus Domini Nostri Jesu Christi is the subject. Custodiat. May it guard, let it guard. May it guard. Animam tuam, your soul or preserve your soul in vitam eternum, for life eternal, into life eternal. Very nice. I think that's pretty straightforward and a good use of this, independent use of the subjunctive. Uh, number 13. Si veritatem dico, quare vos non creditis mihi. Uh, straightforward sentence, I think. If I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? Credo credere, to believe, often takes the dative. To trust or believe in plus the dative. That's why we have mihi. Vos is the subject in credo, creditis. We wouldn't have had to even include it in Latin, but it's there a little bit for emphasis. You have the subject expressed in the ending tis, tis. So, if I speak the truth, why do you not believe me? There you have it. Okay, number 15. Fratres, anoscamus peccata nostra. Ah, here we have another uh, phrase from Mass, taken right out of Mass. Uh, brethren, anoscamus peccata nostra. Here we have the subjunctive, the verb agnoscamus. Ah, we have the A, the sign of the subjunctive in the third conjugation. We hear ah, liar, friar. So, anoscamus. Let us recognize or acknowledge peccata nostra, our sins. So that's the let us subjunctive, the hortatory subjunctive, first person plural. Let us acknowledge our sins. We say that at the beginning of Mass. Number 17, you will recognize this is the last phrase of the creed in Mass. Et expecto resurrectionem mortuorum et vitam venturi seculi. And I wait for, uh, you can't translate that ex as expect, but probably better, I wait on or I wait for, I await the resurrection of the dead people, mortuorum, et vitam and the life venturi seculi, of the age, seculum and age, a world even, of the age or the world to come, venturi. Notice, the life of the world to come or the age to come, Venturi from the Latin, venio, veniri, veni, ventus, come, right? And here we have the urus ending. It's the future active participle, urus ending, uri modifies sequely, of the age about to come, going to come. That's a good future active participle. So there you have our last expression in the creed. Uh, number 19 is another prayer that we say at Mass. 
suscipia dominus sacrificium de manibus tuus ad laurem et gloriam nomine sui. We only have the first uh, sentence. Remember the rest of it? Ad utilitatem quoque nostrum totiusque ecclesiae sui sancte. We call this the suscipiat from the first word. May the Lord take up or accept the sacrifice de manibus tuis from your hands, talking to the priest there, ad laudem et gloriam nomine for the praise and glory of his name. The verb suscipiat is the important part here. Independent use of the subjunctive, third conjugation, I-A, suscipio, suscipiat. We hear a liar, friar, I-A, and an I-O verb is the sign of the subjunctive. May the Lord take up or accept, right? Again, a polite wish. It could be an optative subjunctive or a polite command. Lord, please take up. May the Lord please take up. A, a, a wish, may he take up the sacrifice from your hands, we're talking to the priest, for the praise and glory of his name. Good use of the subjunctive. Number 21. Tu es uh, Here we have again the uh, future, uh, the future of, uh, participle of venio, venturus, uh, and we have that paraphrastic uh, first paraphrastic conjugation with the verb to be. Are you the one who is about to come, or we would say is about to come, but in Latin we have to say, are you the one who are the one about to come? Are you the one who are about to come? Venturus est. Are you the one who's coming? Uh, about to come, venturus, again, the participial form, future active participle from venio. I think that's uh, pretty straightforward. We know that passage in the gospel. Um, number 23, and again from the gospel of John, chapter 8. Uh, Dixi ergo vobis quia mori emini in peccatis vestris, si enim non crediteritis quia ego sum, mori emini in peccatis vestris. Uh, this is a very interesting sentence. A uh, couple sentences, actually. So the first one, Dixi ergai, therefore I said vobis to you, quia that, mori emini, i.e. the sign of the future, third conjugation, io verbs, that you will die in peccatis vestris, in your sins. Now we have a condition. For if you will have not believed, quia ego sum, that I am, ego sum, Mori emini, you will die, he repeats that, in peccatis vestris, in your sins. So, the main sentence is, mori emini in peccatis vestris, you will die in your sins. Under what condition? If you will not have believed. We have a future, more vivid condition. We have a future perfect indicative in the protasis, and a future indicative in the apotasis. If you will have not believed, you will die. If you will have not believed, quia ego sum, that I am. Now, that's an interesting use. In John's gospel, we see this expression many, many times. Ego sum, I am. It translates the Greek original, ego emi, I am. And that translation is an exact translation of the passage from Genesis, in, if we look at the Septuagint version in Greek, where God appears 
to Moses in the burning bush, and Moses asks, you know, who should I say that this is appearing to me? And he says, remember, I am who am. And in Greek, ego eimi, I am. He is the great I am. So in John's gospel, Jesus repeats that many, many times, sometimes by itself, sometimes like I am the good shepherd, but sometimes just like here, ego sum, I am. You will recall, perhaps, in the garden, when, they, when they, Jesus and the apostles are praying in the garden of Gethsemane, and the crowd comes to a, a, a arrest Jesus, and, they, and Jesus says, whom are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, in Greek, ego eimi, or in Latin, ego sum. And they all fall down on the ground. I often wondered when I was younger, what in the world? Why did they all fall to the ground when, when, when he said that? Well, I, I'm, I'm almost positive that the reason is the same reason uh, that Moses was down on his face on the ground before the burning bush. Because when Jesus actually says, ego eimi in Greek, or ego sum in Latin, I am, I am the am, I am, his, his power goes out and virtually knocks them to the ground. That's a, it's a fantastic uh, passage. Uh, when, you, when you read that, take a look at it again. But here he says, if you shall have not believed that ego sum, that I am, meaning that I am the one, I am who am, you will die in your sins. Good sentence. Okay, uh, sorry for that excursion, uh, but I think it might be interesting to you. Uh, number 25. Conemur contrito cum corde ad dominum precari. Okay, so here we have a verb, a conemur from conor. It's a first conjugation verb. Uh, and we see the E, so we say, ah, that's uh, present subjunctive. We are a liar friar. But we also notice that it has a passive ending, but it is a deponent verb. Therefore, it has a passive ending, but an active meaning. Konemor, let us try, let us attempt. Let us try what? Often followed, almost always by a complementary infinitive. Precari. Now, again, another deponent verb, precor, precari. Notice it's a passive infinitive, but we translate it active, actively. Let us try to pray ad dominum to the Lord, contrito cum corde, with a contrite heart, an ablative of manner. Notice Latin could say cum contrito corde, cum corde contrito. It likes to use that uh, adjective on the other side of the cum, contrito cum corde. With a contrite heart, let us try to pray to the Lord. Very important. And just a subjunctive, let us subjunctive, right? Urging us, hortatory. Uh, let us try. Very good. Okay, how about number 27? Mulier consolata est senem, qui detrimentum filii miserabatur. Ah, here we have again the use of deponent verbs. Mulier consolata est senem, from consolar, which is a deponent verb, therefore passive endings, but active meanings. The woman consoled the old man. Okay? Qui detrimentum filii miserebatur. Uh, the old man who was bewailing or pitying the loss of 
the son, of his son. Now, notice this verb, miserebatur. This comes from the word miseror, miserari, which means, as you can look back on page 176, it means to bewail or pity. There's another verb that looks very much like it that we had in an earlier unit, misereor, which means to have mercy on. This one means to bewail or pity. So he's apparently weeping over the loss of his son. So we have here, the woman consoled the old man who was weeping or uh, bewailing the loss of his son. Okay. Um, he was feeling sad over uh, the loss. It, the root, of course, is miser. And we know the adjective miser means to be wretched, to be miserable. Uh, two deponent verbs showing passive forms but active meanings. Number uh, 20, 29. Beati qui conspectum domini cognoverunt et gradiuntur in semitis eos. Ah, blessed or happy are those who, blessed, blessed, who cognoverunt. Now there we have the perfect, but it's that verb cognosco. So they have become acquainted, therefore they know. Blessed those who know the aspect or the uh, face or the appearance of uh, God, of the Lord, and walk in semitises, in his ways or in his paths. So blessed those who know the conspectum domini, and they walk and who walk or proceed in his paths. Pretty straightforward, illustrating again, though, the use of cognosco when in the perfect we translate it, I have come to uh, know, to become acquainted, therefore I know. Good. Number 31, Pastor Senex, septem oves ducens ad montem ingredie batur. A straightforward sentence. We have the Pastor Senex, the subject, the old uh, shepherd. What kind of old shepherd is he? He septem oves ducens, a participle. We've had lots of good participles in this lesson. Modifying pastor senex in the nominative, singular. What kind of shepherd is he? Leading septem oves, seven sheep. Ad montem ingrediebator, was proceeding to the mountain. Ingrediebator, ingredior, again, a deponent verb with uh, active meaning but passive endings. He was uh, progressing or moving toward or walking toward the mountain. Very good. Pretty straightforward. Important thing there, the participle and the deponent verb. And number 33, Sacerdos ritibus fungatur, quibus substantia nostra alitur, alitur, neque alere desinat. Okay, <clears throat> so we take a look. We have the subject right there, Sacerdos. But notice, we have ritibus fungatur, fungor, another deponent verb, third conjugation, the A is the sign of the subjunctive. We hear a liar. Um, so it's going to be an independent use of the subjunctive. Let the priest uh, perform ritibus, the rites. Now notice, ritibus is in the ablative because the verb fungor is one of those four verbs or four or five verbs in Latin that take the ablative. We have uh, 
uh, fruor, podior, westgor, uh, fungor. These verbs will take an ablative instead of an accusative object. So, let the priest perform the rites. May the priest perform the rites, or let him perform the rites. Quibus substantia nostra alitur, by which our substance or our nature is nourished. Notice, we have a relative clause, quibus substantia nostra alitur. But quibus refers back to rites, it's plural. But why is it in the ablative? Because it's an ablative of means in its own clause. Let the priest perform the rites by which our nature is nourished. Our nature, our substance is nourished by which? By those rites. So that's why it's in the ablative. Remember the uh, relative uh, pronouns take their number and gender from their antecedent, but their use, their case goes from their use in their own clause. Here the ablative of means. So let the priest perform the rites by which our substance is nourished. So we have a justice subjunctive, most likely. Could it could be an optative, may the priest perform the rites, or let the priest. These two, as I said, are very close, and it depends on context how you want to translate them. Then this uh, last little part, neque alare desina. This is most certainly a wish. Let them not cease to nourish. May they not cease to nourish. Neque desina. May they not cease to nourish, meaning may the rites not cease to nourish us. Very good. So there we have uh, probably a justice subjunctive followed by an optative subjunctive. Both independent uses of the subjunctive. Uh, fungatur subjunctive, de sinat subjunctive. Okay, that completes our uh, sentences. And let's take a look at the readings. Now we talked about not doing the Gloria because most of us probably know that one by heart in English, maybe not in Latin, but certainly in English. And you can take a look at that. You should maybe perhaps read that through or study it on your own. You may know it from Mass, uh, reciting it or hearing it sung at Mass every Sunday. Let's go down to number two on page 182. And here we have Lexio Sancti Evangelii Secundum Marcum, a reading of the Holy Gospel according to Mark. And we're in the first chapter. Uh, Jesus cures a leper. Okay, so let's take a look here. Et venit ad eum leprosus de precans eum, et genuflectens et dicens ei. So here we have a sentence that introduces a, a quote, but we've got um, several participles, don't we? Et venit ad eum leprosus. Leprosus, a leprous person, right? So a leper. Uh, and uh, the leper, or the leprous person, Adam, came to him, and what was he doing? De precans eum, beseeching him, right? De precans, modifying the subject, singular. Et genuflectens, and flecting, flexing with his knee, in other words, genuflecting, kneeling down, right? Genuflectens. Et dicens, and saying to him, so notice, we have three participles in a row, three present participles, and uh, they all modify the subject, leprosus, the, the leper. He came to him, beseeching him, and genuflecting, and saying to him, see vis, 
potes me mundare. If you are willing, if you will it, if you wish, from volo vis vult, volumus vultus volunt, the irregular verb volo. If you will, if you wish, you are able to cleanse me. Mundare me. <coughs> Et misertus extendens manum suum. Now notice that's from miserior. And having pity on him, having pitied him, extendens manum suum. Extending manum suum. That's a participle. Extending his hand. So we have two participles, a perfect and a present. Having pitied him. That's a deponent verb. Extending his hand. Tetigedeum. He touched him at I and says to him, Ili, Volo, Volo, I will it, I will, I want, I wish. Mundare. Now notice, if that comma weren't there, we might say Volo Mundare, like it was up above, Sivis Potes Mundare. You are able to, to cleanse. Here, Volo, I want to cleanse. But no, we have volo, comma, mundare. Mundare at first looks like an infinitive. But <clears throat> I'm pretty sure here it's not the infinitive, but it's actually the passive form of the imperative, which, remember in the singular, looks like an active infinitive. Be cleansed. I will it. Be cleansed, be ye cleansed, singular, talking to the leper. So that's the passive imperative singular of the verb mundo mundare, to cleanse. Be cleansed. Et statim, and immediately, discesit ab eo lepra. Lepra, the leprosy, the disease. The leprosy departed from him, ab eo, statim, immediately. Et mundatus est, and he was cleansed. Notice, mundo mundare is not a deponent verb. It's an active verb, uh, and, or I mean it's a regular verb, and it can have uh, active forms with active meanings and passive forms with passive meanings. Therefore, mundatus est is a passive perfect uh, modifying uh, the man, and he was cleansed. Very good. So, uh, Jesus is the person who misertus, having had pity on him, extending his hand. He touched him and says to him, Volo, I will it. Be cleansed. Passive imperative. Be ye cleansed and be ye cleansed, may be made clean. And immediately the leprosy departed, desheset abeo from him, and he was cleansed. So there you have uh, your little reading from the Gospel of Mark. And that concludes our uh, homework assignment for this unit. Uh, I hope that uh, I've made things clear to you in going over all of these sentences and readings. Uh, as always, don't forget, please, if you have a question, don't hesitate to email me at may at stoloff.edu, and I'll be glad to answer anything, uh, any question you have about Latin, or uh, for that matter, anything else that I can help you with. Uh, my best wishes for a great day and a great week. Study your Latin. Say your prayers, and we'll be back with you again with a new unit on Sunday. Take care, and goodbye.